up, everybody? This is the Console Crusade Podcast. Here we talk retro games, gaming news, and sometimes Forrest Whitaker's lazy eye. Joining me today to talk some video game developer origin stories is my man Nick Durheim. What's up, dude? Hey, man. We've learned a lot today and the prior days in which we were learning. Uh, you may have learned a lot. I took some notes that I'm sure I'll stumble through. Nothing really of interest, but we're going to pretend it is. I hope you're going to tell me something about Humongous. I think I want to save that. I want to like do an episode where we talk strictly about deep childhood cuts, right? Yeah, we need to do a lore dive on Pajama Sam. I mean... I want to know what's going on in that treehouse. The Freddy Fish conspiracy, okay? <laughs> it's real. Uh, all right, so we've we've both gone through and compiled a list of, of developers that, you know, just some fun facts, some interesting trivia, some goofy origins, or just interesting origins. I want you to kick us off here and uh, learn my brain a little bit. All right. So I was just trying to go through and see if I could find anything interesting on Bethesda. I mean, we all know them for the Elder Scrolls games. And then they picked up Fallout after one and two. They did three and uh, four. Who did Who did New Vegas? It wasn't Bethesda. It was Obsidian. Obsidian. They did, yeah, they did KOTOR too. So, Bethesda was started in 1986, and originally they wanted to just be called Softworks, but that name was already taken, so they just named it after the town that they were started in, which is Bethesda. So, they're Bethesda Softworks. Uh, Bethesda where? Where is that? It's like Massachusetts, I think. I didn't write it down because I'm bad. <laughs> but it started, the, started by a fellow named Christopher Weaver, and I thought it was very interesting that they have only developed two games ever on a Nintendo platform, and those were the excellent titles of Home Alone and Where's Waldo. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, so they just got started, you know, doing... Not that. That's Home Improvement. Oh, sorry, Home Alone. <laughs> my bad. No, Mac- Macaulay Culkin, Home Alone. <laughs> sorry. And his murder house. Everybody's favorite crackhead, Macaulay Culkin. And Where's Waldo, that funny hipster hiding at the beach. Scary man. Yeah, those were back in 1991. Uh, home Improvement. <laughs> oh. There was a Home Improvement game, though, on Super Nintendo, and I really want to play that game. Oh, my it's, God. It's very entertaining. Console Crusade review inbound. Um, also thought it was pretty cool. They were hired by EA to make the first Madden game because they had developed a game on the NES called Gridiron, and I guess EA thought that was like cool, and they wanted to use their franchise connections and make a... An NFL game, you know, a football game. Is this like before the yearly installment of whatever NFL game? Like this is kind of insane. What year was that? Oh man, I didn't write that down. I think it was on the Super Nintendo. Okay, all right. So like early nineties. So like early nineties, ninety three, maybe. Okay. Uh, but then they ended up suing EA for three point three million because they like basically prevented uh, Bethesda from working on the Gridiron game more, developing it and pushing it out. Because they wanted to have that market cornered. Classic electronic arts, am I right? Oh, God, EA. My favorite video game publisher. Uh, and then Christopher Weaver, the guy who founded it. Him and Robert Altman formed ZeniMax Media, which is now the owner of Bethesda. But they also own Arcane, who does Dishonored and Prey. Uh, Battlecry, which does Battlecry, which I'm not really familiar with. But uh, they also own id Software, which you might know from Doom, Quake, and Rage. And Machine Games, which did Wolfenstein. Tango Gameworks did The Evil Within. And ZeniMax Online Studios, which you've told me does Elder Scrolls Online. The the studio, yeah. But ZeniMax is like some giant conglomerate that owns all sorts of various you know business entities. Yeah, I was actually looking into that more. And 
there's like some investor group that owns 28% of that company, but they also invest in a bunch of mass media corporations across the globe. They have a very interesting board of directors. I was telling you a little bit about that, but ZeniMax's current board of directors has Cal Ripken Jr. Oh my God. You know, that baseball player. He's relevant still. Robert Trump, who's the brother to Donald Trump. Oh, wait. I thought it was one of his kids. I don't know their names. No, it's Robert. It's an old man. Old man. Donald's got a brother. Yeah. Well, I'm sure he's got more than one. Uh, Robert Altman, who formed uh, ZeniMax with Chris Weaver, he's married to Linda Carter, who was Wonder Woman. Way back. Way back. Okay. Bunch of old people own this shit. Cal Ripken is is the hip one of the bunch. He's, yeah, he's venerable still, though. Uh, Harry Sloan is also on the board of directors. He was appointed by Ronald Reagan to the President's Advisory Council on Trade and Policy Negotiations. And he was also the financial chair for Mitt Romney, 2012. These are the guys who own ZeniMax, the conglomerate that owns... They aren't video game specific, right? They have their hands in all sorts of cookie jars. Well, ZeniMax is video game stuff, yeah. Specifically? Yeah, they own all these studios. That's like their thing. That's their that's their main moneymaker. Wow. But they also have like... All these people are also involved with other things like uh, Leslie... Leslie Moonves, I don't know how you pronounce that, Moonves, he was the CEO at Viacom until it became CBS, and now, as of recently, he's the chairman there. Okay. So, like, they've got their fingers in other things, too. So, I'm on the website uh, for ZeniMax Media Incorporated, and it says, ZeniMax creates and publishes original interactive entertainment content for PC, Mac, previous, and next-gen consoles, and mobile devices. So, that's so bizarre to me. I guess these guys who, who own it, they have nothing to do with video games. They have everything to do with money. And so, they're, you know, it's just it, weird to hear those names, you know? Yeah, actually, uh, Christopher Weaver, the guy who started Bethesda, I guess he wasn't too happy about uh, the way ZeniMax kind of came to be, even though he helped started it. And he filed a lawsuit in 2002 against ZeniMax, but I guess it didn't work out because he was snooping through employee emails to try and find evidence for it. Mm, the old MySpace message trick. That's real shady. You can't you can't be getting into someone else's messages, man. Yeah, man. Got to stop phishing people. Anyway, what do I have next? Uh, did you do any of the bigger studios? So I did Telltale Atlas. I guess you could almost you could almost classify those as AAA. Almost. I mean, Telltale's definitely getting there budget wise. I wouldn't be able to tell by playing their games that there's actually budget behind them though. No, they're, they're total train wrecks. Uh, so I have Telltale Atlas that I kind of went a little deeper on, and by a little... I'd say Atlas is, Atlas is closer to AAA, at least in Japan space. Oh, God, yeah. They are like the preeminent JRPG developer, the top of the pile, so to speak. They're still buying Square. Atlas is, puts out like several games a year, I feel like. There's always a new Atlas game, and it's always doing well. It always reviews well. Like, Square... Just because you make more games doesn't mean they're bigger, though. Oh, that's true. I mean, if we're talking financially, I guess Square's... Is the top there. But Telltale Games, a couple of interesting things here. Telltale started off, there were a couple of uh, Joe Blows. Uh, not that they'll ever listen to this. Sorry, guys. But they started off, uh, they all worked for LucasArts. There was two guys, I believe. And they were developing a, a sequel for the game, Sam and Max Hit the Road. The fact that they were developing... I, mean, I guess it was only 11 years later, 2004, 2003, 2004. Only 11 years later? Now it's like you look back, it's like, oh, God, that game is 20, it's 25 years old. But then, at least, it was like, it's only a decade old, right? That's that's still, like, really not relevant. If a sequel doesn't come out within, like, two years, then uh, that's it's trouble. Well, I imagine that's why it got shit-canned, right? Like, they were like, uh, no one cares about this, and we're spending too much time and money. 
and our resources should go elsewhere, even though it's LucasArts, right? Uh, and so the project got scrapped, and so the two the two fellas split off from the company and formed Telltale. Uh, they had a couple of really goofy things, kind of in the beginning of their of their career there with this company. Um, I know they they did like I think they got the rights to like Wallace and Gromit. You remember that? That was like a claymation sort of movie, right? Yeah, it's a series. That's uh, there's there's a bunch of movies. They do like short movies. They had a bigger one. I can't remember who they worked with. They worked with like Warner or something. Like they kind of hit the big time. It flushed away. That sounds right. That's Ardman Studios. That's right. I was trying to think of the name. Oh God, man, deep cuts here. So they had they got the rights to that. But before that, they they wanted to like continue working on this game they they had been developing for the Sam and Max sequel. They went to the creator after LucasArts denied they they refused to give them the rights uh, for the game. So they went to the creator of Sam and Max and, and asked him personally for the rights to develop future games uh, using his character's likenesses, and he he agreed. So they did a Sam and Max game. So let me preface this by saying if you're listening to this and you and you don't know Telltale. Uh, what's wrong with you? No, but really, they've done the Walking Dead games, which have done really well. Uh, I know they did the like, the Back to the Future. The game was like, it was so-so. It was okay. It's definitely not one of the better Telltale experiences, but it's a big name franchise, right? Like, Back to the Future's huge. Right, they do a lot of, like, all their games are pretty much based off of franchises. Right, I mean, they, they've got the rights to Jurassic Park. They've got the rights to, they, they're doing Batman right now. Obviously, like I said, Walking Dead. Uh, what am I missing? There's another big one that I'm missing. I mean, they did The Wolf Among Us, right? Yeah, which that was based on a book, apparently. I didn't know that was based on a book. I think it was a comic book, so I want to say. Which the comic was based on, like, old Brothers Grimm fairy tale right, type stuff. Right, Um I want to say there's another franchise, like a big franchise I'm missing. They did the Borderlands. Yeah, they did the Tales from the Borderlands. They did Minecraft. Minecraft Stories or something. Minecraft Story Mode, really? Yeah, they did Minecraft Story Mode. I've never played Minecraft a day in my life, so I, I don't know anything about that. Uh, but anyway, they and now they're they're doing Guardians next, Guardians of the Galaxy, Game of Thrones, Game of Thrones. Okay, right, huge franchises, super relevant today uh, as far as pop culture goes, and and entertainment. So one of their first quote unquote big games uh, got released on the Wii. Eventually, got a, a port to PC. Was Strong Bad's cool game for attractive people? Strong Bad. Strong Bad. If you don't know <laughs> who Strong Bad is, some early internet lore right there. I don't blame you. Homestarrunner.net. It's, it's dot com. com. <laughs> it's, oh, dude. We spent so many hours of our lives on Homestarrunner.com watching these weird flash shorts. I don't know the name of the guy. I wish I did because he's really great. I think it's two guys. Oh, the Chapman Chapman brothers, yeah. Just a weird internet series. They did, I mean, just weird Flash videos before, it was back in like the Newgrounds era, right? Right. You'd only really be familiar with them if you had a really, really weird childhood. Uh, but Homestar Runner, Strong Bad, I guess they developed a game, classic Telltale, right? Where it's just, it was a five episodes, uh, kind of a point and click adventure game, which is why it came to the Wii, I, I assume. Didn't it also come out on DS? I cannot confirm nor deny that i i don't think it did there may be another game i feel like it just came out to uh to wii and later to to pc i'm just thinking i, I just i just figured i thought i heard about a homestar runner game on uh, the ds it actually came out on playstation 3 as well oh neat <laughs> oh my gosh probably only digitally 
I know I got, I got a physical PC DVD release. That'd be like a, a really cool thing to own. It's the big time right there. Yeah, the f- complete in box. <laughs> Strong beds. Cool game for uh, attractive people. <laughs> I, can you imagine for the, the guys who created this weird website where they did well, they, they were popular, they're, they're still making content, but I can't imagine that that's like their career as Homestar Runner. How cool would it have been? What is this, 2008, the game released? And they're like, our own video game is being released on a Nintendo console. Yeah, it's really, especially one that sold 100 million units, you know? Like a, a big Nintendo console. Right. I don't know how well this game sold. I'd be curious to see, though. Uh, but it's just interesting to me that Telltale has the rights to all these massive franchises. And, and it's like they were developing video games for HomestarRunner.com. Uh, so I, I've never played the game myself. I I plan on it. It's in my Steam wish list. As soon as that thing goes on sale, I'm snagging it up. It's it's reviewed really well. Not that I know you don't give a shit about reviews. I mean, it's it's fair to give like to to use as a as a gauge, but I like to not look too deeply into them because I know it, it sways my own opinion and stuff. Right, and I have a huge problem with that. Where I'll, my expectations. I temper them based on on reviews, and sometimes that's really bad because if it doesn't live up to what everyone's saying, it's just an automatic disappointment for me, usually. Yeah, it doesn't help that you're a huge pessimist also. Yeah, I go into everything thinking it's going to be terrible. Uh, But anyway, Telltale. Really bizarre little bit of trivia there. Yeah, they uh, occupy a very interesting space in the, the game environment right now where there used to be so many developers that... You know, Majesco, THQ, those kind of things. They're making these weird shovelware type titles, and Telltale games are almost like that, but also well received. You don't see that kind of developer anymore, so good for them. Uh, about Hal Laboratory. Mm, good old Hal Laboratories, co founded by Satoru Iwata, the late great. I wanted to look more into what's up with their logo, because. I don't know if you can think of their logo off the top of their head, but it's like this weird wiener dog yeah. laying in a, in a nest with some eggs. But I couldn't find a single thing about that, which is it's this is really bizarre to me. Really, there's nothing out there. No one's ever asked the question, what the hell is up with this logo? I guess not. Nothing I could find. But Hal, as you may know, are the guys behind Kirby, uh, the Earthbound Games, Mother in Japan, uh, and Smash Bros., and also a series Lolo. There are some NES games and Famicom, I believe. Okay. Uh, if you see the character, you would recognize it, but it's this weird little cute ball. Lolo. I've never played any of Lolo. <laughs> uh, I've never actually played any of those games, but something that people may recognize them for. They were started in 1980 uh, by a group of friends, including Satoru Iwata. They were living in the uh, Akihabara district in, J- in Japan, Tokyo renting out an apartment just hanging out they're all big video game fans but they just want to develop for nintendo so when nintendo was coming out with the famicom they're like we need to hop on this we need to start uh start at the beginning with them because this is going to be big and before they were allowed to develop any games for them on their own nintendo was like hey you got to fix this game for us sort of prove your salt you know and they were contracted to fix pinball classic pinball I think that was the first year that it came out, actually. Uh, but they're also responsible for several other ports, like Joust, which I'm, I know you know. Yo, Joust is my game. I know you know. The NES port was great. Yeah, and they also ported SimCity for the Super Nintendo and the N64. SimCity came to N64? Yeah, man. God damn. <laughs> I think it might have been just in Japan, but the SimCity on Super Nintendo was actually published by Nintendo, 
which is why there's so many specific things to that game on the Nintendo port. Like instead of Godzilla tearing up your city as one of the disasters, you get a Bowser tearing around your city. I did not know that. And if you get like a certain number of citizens, like I think 10,000 people, you get a golden like Mario statue. That's so cool. That game would, would like hold up today if not for the really, really bad load times. But that game still it does some really interesting things. And the fact that they brought it to a console and made it work. That's that's so great. There's so many like very very PC specific games that ended up getting ported to to the consoles back then, just because consoles were actually more popular than computers at the time because of price. So real quick, just as an aside here, I just found the answer to your logo question. Right. What's up with that dog? Tell me about that dog, please. All right. So obviously this is this is deep from the internet. So who knows if we can trust it several grains of salt but this guy he cited nintendo an interview from a 2003 issue of nintendo power uh, about kirby air ride where producer masayoshi tanimura uh said that the dog is a fictional creation and that the team does not think of the dog as a dachshund Uh, and he goes on to explain that the logo represents deep thought into quote-unquote incubating completely new ideas that will eventually hatch into incredibly fun games Dang. So thus, that, that weird wiener dog sitting on the on the eggs there. That was very cerebral. I know. I mean, weird. I almost feel like that thing should have antlers on it. I'm looking at that logo right now. I feel like it looks less like a wiener dog and more like a deer without antlers, which would be a female deer. <laughs> <laughs> it's a deer. A deer. A deer. A female deer. <laughs> God. Totally. A deer a doe. <laughs> kind of a little bit. Yeah, so I thought it was kind of interesting that uh, Hal... The company was named after 2001 A Space Odyssey, the robot. The robot. Yeah, Hal. Creepy Hal, man. And also, Iwata, and an Iwata Asks, said that they called it Hal because it was one step ahead of IBM. H is before I, A is before B. I thought that was, uh, Iwata, you clever motherfucker. It's just God damn it. a little goofy. A little haha got you. Uh, they were pivotal in helping Earthbound actually finish development, because that was uh, another case of development hell where they just pushed it off and waited waited and waited couldn't get it out um and then after mother three came out on gba after what 10 years of on and off development yeah they helped uh well actually no i think it was after earthbound uh ape sort of turned into creatures ape inc which was uh shigesato itoi's company that made mother and mother two uh turned into creatures which as you know Worked on Pokemon, right? And developed a bunch of Pokemon games. How was also responsible for the Pokemon Snap and the Pokemon Stadium games, and they also developed uh, Pokemon Emerald on Game Boy Advance. Oh, the best of the third generation games. Uh, so Satori Wada, how how long was his involvement with the company? Because at some point he left and quit developing games. I think he was. I think he was still uh, involved with How to like a certain extent, maybe as a on an oversight. Okay. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much involvement he had. Peripherally uh, involved. I mean, that makes sense. Right. And he became president of uh, Nintendo, what, I want to say 2004? 2000... Yeah, sounds about right. Don't quote me on that. Yeah, I know his involvement uh, in how was kind of minimal for a while there because he was just so busy, like, as a director, and he helped with uh, Kirby's Air Ride. And uh, hopped back in for Melee and helped with that, too. Man, I don't want this to just turn into the Satoru Iwata 
half hour special, but it's hard not to, man. That guy was, you texted me earlier and, and you said something, you were reading his GDC speech from 05. Yeah. 2005. He was just talking about his inspiration for creating video games and his experiences, uh, in school and growing up and being a, a game developer, like in his head, he was a game developer, but his business card is president, but in his heart, he's just a gamer. And I was like, God damn, this dude is just such a homie. He did so many great things, especially that directly impacted our childhood. Mm -hmm. You know, the story that he came on, the developers of Pokemon Gold and Silver, you know, they couldn't get the game to work on a Game Boy Color cartridge. And he came in and reprogrammed the whole game at the final hour, essentially, to get that game to work. Yeah, pretty much like double the size of the the game by because they couldn't get Kanto to fit. But he's just like, oh, I'll do it. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> like, And pretty much the same thing happened with Earthbound. He just, ah, great man. Great man. Uh, Hal was also responsible for the e-reader accessory for the Game Boy Advance. Because they're only hardware. So you're saying they weren't all hits. Well, I mean, that thing was cool, right? You got to scan cool cards. Fucking useless. I actually don't know what the, what the success was for that thing. It was kind of late in the Game Boy's life cycle. So that could also have an impact on it. I imagine that's one of the things that took off in Japan, but for us, it was like, what is this useless pile of trash kind of thing? Yeah, I feel like trading cards in general had kind of fallen off by that point. Yeah. That was what, mid-2000s? Yeah, it, was kind of, it kind of hit a, a fever pitch in the late 90s, so it was a bit, little, little too late. Um, also from HAL Laboratory was Masahiro Sakurai, which you know is the creator of the Smash Bros. games. And he, at the age of 19 made his first game, which was Kirby's Dreamland, which is the first Kirby game on the Game Boy. Jesus. I thought that was kind of interesting. Also, Hal has a really cool website. If you go there, there's a, you can play with it. There's a bunch of like stuff. It's interaction. Really? I don't know. It was just kind of funny. It was a funky little website. Some of these Japanese companies, they just do some of the, the quirkiest things. Well, that's all well and interesting, but I got something for you. Hit me. Okay, so CD Projekt Red. Back in the day, I have to bring up my damn notes now because they're names and things that I have to try and pronounce. Oh, dude, don't even try. I mean, you're going to butcher that Polish like only you could. Oh, uh, dude, I'm going to try, goddammit. Oh, no. I, I wrote I wrote this stuff down and I had the damn wiki up so that I could try and... Okay, so CD Projekt Red was founded in 94 by Marcin Iwinski and Mikhail Gaczynski. Go on. I think that's, how they, I think that's what they said. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, so back in the day, check it out. Copyright law did not exist in Poland. <laughs> there was no such thing as Polish copyright law. So in high school, uh, Marcin Iwinski, I hope I'm not butchering that. Oh, you definitely are. Iwinski. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry, bro. He sold cracked copies of Western video games in a, in a Warsaw marketplace. He just burned games and go out and sell them at the damn flea market. Or, you know, whatever the equivalent was in Poland at the time. With his parrot on his shoulder and his eye patch. Uh, in high school, he met the other guy. Um, they became uh, business partners. He was also selling video games uh, illegally. So check it out. Uh, they wanted to conduct business legitimately, according to the wiki here. So Iwinski and Kaczynski began uh, importing games from U.S. retailers. And they were the very first importers and resellers of CD-ROM games in Poland. Jeez. Wait, that's crazy. Just started that market. That's insane to me. 
they are the ones that brought CD-ROMs to Poland, dude. That <laughs> is imported that. That's really, yeah, that's really cool, actually. So the other night, you and I were Skyping and kind of talking about what we want to do with this episode. Just kind of, let's find something interesting about some of these developers and talk some shit. Let's see how often we can say the word interesting without thinking about it too much. Yeah, interesting, interesting, interesting. I am a robot. Anyway, so Atlas Studios. We know them from Persona, a game that neither of us have played. At least not extensively. I started it on my Vita when I bought it. I mean, I haven't had a I haven't had a PlayStation console since the, my PSP. So, uh, you haven't had a PlayStation console since I bricked your PSP after I updated it. Well, I mean, it wasn't bricked. I just had it hacked, and but then you had to update it so you could play some some bad game, probably. Uh, I don't remember. I remember you being really mad at me, but I don't remember what the heck I was doing. I just remember it saying you need to update. Was there even a Persona game on the PSP? I know that. The Golden came on Vita, but... I mean, because Persona 4, how old is that fucking game? Came out on PS2 in, in, was that, 08? Oh, God, it came out on the PS2? I thought that was a PS3 game. Oh, my God. Those JRPGs have really long development cycles, though, so... And the PS2 was still huge. Uh, but they were founded in, in 1986. And when we were Skyping the, the other night, like I was saying, I lost my shit when I read this. I, I read it wrong, it turns out. <laughs> Oh my god. But they were founded in 1986 uh, where where they began selling amusement equipment, quote unquote. Right. I swear to god that said amusement park equipment. Like my brain just filled in the blanks. <laughs> I was like amusement park equipment. Like these guys are selling like They're really big teacups. You're like what the hell were they selling? And how the hell do you go from selling like corn dog stands and and roller coaster tracks to like developing JRPGs? Like I what the fuck? That seems like a pretty logical step, actually. If you really think about it, you go from a Ferris wheel to, like, you know, a skill tree. It's it's a very easy jump. Please note his sarcasm if, if you're listening right now. I know you are all robots and you don't understand, you know, nuanced human conversation. Yeah, and, you know, open your notebook and actually write it down. So, a year later, they moved on from amusement equipment. I couldn't find any information as to what amusement equipment was. Yeah, what is that? Is that... Is that dirty? Is that Japan being dirty? <laughs> I don't want to, you know, I mean, I think it's implied maybe, but I don't want to, you know, infer <laughs> too too far here because when you read the word amusement equipment, the phrase rather, what would you think? Because I, I don't have a fucking clue. I mean, the only thing I can think of are like weird little kitschy toys like paddle ball, ball and cup. Ball and cup. Yeah, I don't know. But a year later, they started selling... They developed their own karaoke console uh, and b- began selling that. So that's kind of interesting. They go from amusement equipment. I imagine it has to probably be... Were they selling arcade equipment? Maybe. Or like... I know karaoke has really been really big in Japan for a long time, so they might have been doing karaoke stuff before they did an at-home karaoke thing. Right. Okay. I, I went to Atlas's Japanese website, translated it, and was reading through their own history. They have their own timeline of their company. And so there wasn't a lot of detail. Uh, and obviously the Wikipedia, I think, just took that. So it was dirty stuff then. They just don't want to go into it. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. Confirmed. So they released their first title under the Atlas name. I, I, I want to say it was 1990. I'm going to have to double check real quick because I don't want to be wrong and sound like an idiot. Not that anyone gives a shit. You sound like an idiot anyway, even when you're right. That's true. So, uh, their first game was called Puzzle Boy and was released uh, in Japan in 1989. Puzzle Boy is really weird. It's it's a simple game, 
but it's frustratingly difficult. It's kind of this environmental puzzle game where you're you're it's top down. You're in this world, um, trying to get out of rooms essentially by moving platforms and and walls around or whatever. There were a lot of puzzle games that were you know top down grid based because they were really easy to easy to create first of all but they were really i mean really great for pick up and go you know because the game boy wasn't marketed as a child's device it was right. marketed to businessmen with briefcases and cell phones back in 19 you know 80 whatever i mean to be fair if you were a child with a briefcase you probably had a game boy also you're ahead of the curve if you were a child with a briefcase you had more important things to worry about i think I mean, is a lunchbox not a briefcase, if you think about it? How very philosophical of you. <laughs> Asking the hard questions here on the Console Crusade podcast. Where do you draw the line? Oh, How big does it have to be? <laughs> it's, is it a, does it have to do with the size? What about, what about the treatment on the outside? What's it made of? Does it have to have storage for your, for your documents? Wait, what do you keep in there? Because you could make a briefcase a lunchbox just based on the contents within, right? Right, and you can make a briefcase with like a cool Power Rangers logo on the side, and that's just a really like thin but also large lunchbox for all my crackers, for all my crackers and lunchables. I eat a lot of those things. Trade fodder. That's what that is. You're trying to get that brownie from that weird kid, you know? Oh my god, dude! It's, we're going off the deep end here, everybody. <laughs> Atlas, makers of briefcases. <laughs> god. Anyway. Puzzle Boy, dude. I want you to look look up the the art. So the Puzzle Boy came out a year later, I believe, in the U.S. and it was called Quirk. Oh my god, I I I own that game. You own Quirk? Is that yeah. the one that was broken when it came? Yeah. No way. Quirk's part of a trilogy. Really? Yeah. And the the latter two games, I don't know if they had a English release or if it was a really really limited English release, but those games are like a hundred to two hundred dollars on Game Boy because of how rare they are. It's like Adventures of Spud or whatever. Like they're both potato based. Well, here's the thing. I was gonna say the original game. It looks like there's a weird potato man. There was like a potato and a, and a, a ball of garlic or something. Yeah, Quirk is a tomato with a, a green mohawk. Dude, he's got a sick mohawk, by the way. Like, what the fuck is that? And he's just pointing his finger up. He's amazing. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to he's trying to find his girlfriend, dude. Yeah, I own that game. So that is the one that came broken. That UPS destroyed. Yes. Damn. So you should check it out though. I was I was watching gameplay uh, in lead up to this episode, and it looked really. It was simple. Looks frustrating. Looks really awesome. And it's got that you know old school Game Boy aesthetic. Obviously, it just takes me back. Yeah, and like I think I've actually played this game as a uh, TI eighty six port. Fuck you. No, you have it. Yes, dude. I swear to God, no, I have. You fucking have. It. There was like one kid in high school. Didn't really. I wasn't friends with him. He was just that weird kid in math class. But he had a like USB to ti86 port and he could download games and he would like hey dude borrow my calculator and he'll give you games and he had this i think it looked just like this and there's also like a platforming like box game dude that is so bizarre man didn't the ti86 get a doom port at what what point (laughs) probably (laughs) name me one thing you can't play doom on that's true that's that's really great (laughs) we're uh, being backstage during like a, a play playing doom on my old ipod like Apple branded iPod, not your Zune. No iPod, like uh, iPod Mini, the, the the narrow ones. Oh, the Nano, yeah. Did the best iPods? Played Doom on that thing. That, uh, that was the color screen, right? How did you do that? <laughs> sick hacks, man. Dude, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Speaking of sick hacks, bro, what do you got next for me? 
Oh man, not really a whole lot. I just wanted to bring up Capcom really quick. Cashcon. Cashcom. Crapcom. It's kind of fallen on harder times lately, but they were started in 1983 as Capcom, but before that they were called IRM Corporation, and that was started in 1979, and they've had the same president through the time. Uh, they were started by Kenji Tsujimoto. Uh, the name Capcom is a portmanteau of capsule computers because of their work in arcade machines. So I thought that was kind of a little interesting tidbit. Also, uh, Tsujimoto in 1990 bought land in Napa Valley, and he has a winery. Just I just on the Capcom website, they're like, yeah, drink this wine. Does it list a website? Can you? Does it link you to where you can buy his wine? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't dig that deep. I was just like, this is really bizarre. But yeah, that was pretty much all I really looked into for Capcom. I just uh, wanted to see wh- when they started because of you know they've got very recognizable IP. You know, did Street Fighter, Mega Man, Resident Evil, Monster Hunter, Ace Attorney, and Devil May Cry. You've probably played a Capcom game in your life. So my next couple companies here, I mean, I don't really have much to say about them. Just some interesting facts. Similar to Atlas, another company that I, I don't know much about, but I found when we were digging through, I thought it was really interesting, was Taito. You know, Taito did a lot of stuff on the early, you know, uh, for the NES back in the day. Yeah, like what game? What games are they responsible for? Did they do? do did they do Bubble Bobble? Was that Taito? Dude, uh, they did Bubble Bobble. Uh, they did like Space Invaders. Okay, okay. They went on to do. I'm pretty sure they did like Little Samson. Yeah, I think that tracks. Which is one of the most sought after NES games. It's pushing you know six hundred dollars now. Plus, uh, they did all sorts of stuff though. They, they did a lot of stuff for for arcades back in the day, from Astro Race to to basketball the 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 popular title (laughs) basketball uh (laughs) clean sweep barricade like bombs away okay just but this is all in the 70s here they're developing but they started out the arcade cabinets they started out they were founded in 1953 by a russian jewish businessman named michael kogan they were founded as the Taito Trading Company. A couple of really weird things about them here was initially uh, they started importing and distributing vending machines. Okay. Like vending machines to video games. Okay. They both start with a V, right? That's an easy jump. Like you think vending machines and then you gamify that with like a claw game. And then that's just a, a small leap to, yeah. you know, regular old computer based arcade games. Right. So they were the first company ever to distill and sell vodka in Japan. Wow. Taito, dude. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, when I thought, like, when you hear the name Taito, obviously you think, oh, that's a Japanese-sounding name, but it was started by, like, some Russian dude, and uh, then did the Russian most Jewish. Russian thing you could possibly do, which is make vodka. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? So, uh, later on, they began uh, leasing jukeboxes uh, and eventually started to manufacture their own, uh, and then they started making arcade games in the 60s, and obviously this is how we get to two video games uh but i thought that was interesting first company to still and sell vodka in japan that seems i mean i don't know was that in the 50s i guess that makes that makes sense it just seems like so so late yeah maybe like they had it they had it like imported before then but because that makes it sound like you know distill and sell you think that there was vodka being sold in japan prior to the probably yeah 50 whatever okay well i took it the other way you're probably right though but I thought that was interesting. That still is like a, a little fun fact there. Started by a Jewish-Russian guy. Um, I want to give a shout out. I mean, this is obviously not a comprehensive list of weird video game developer origins. 
this was just a few we found interesting or whatever. But uh, I wanted to give a shout out to Big Huge Games. So they've done Rise of Nations, probably all I can tell you. I don't, um, yeah, Rise of Nations. Uh, they did Age of Empires three. So I'll, uh, yeah, let me get into this for you here. They did Catan in uh, 07, I think. There's a bunch of those like sim like 4x games. Uh, Brian Reynolds, who co-founded Firaxis, who did all they've done all the Civilization games, right? Mm-hmm. XCOM. Uh, I guess I think they've only done Civ and XCOM. So Brian Reynolds, he co-founded Firaxis. In 2000, he left because he wanted to bring the complexity of the turn-based strategy genre and add those elements into a real-time strategy game, which is like so fucking cool when you think about it. Like That kind of game didn't exist. So what he did was he left Firaxis and he founded Big Huge Games and their first release, one of my favorite games ever, their first release in 2003 was Rise of Nations, which is basically a real-time strategy version of Civilization. And, th- I mean, there are a lot of differences there. They're not... It's not a Civ clone by any means. Uh, but I always liked it more than Civ. And trust me, I've put plenty of time into Civ. But I always liked it more because it... It was kind of... There's some kind of give and take there with, with a game like Rise of Nations. Um, I love the fast pace. It's a real-time strategy game. So you're always moving, right? Uh, whereas in a Civ game, you pause the game, you figure out your turn, and by the end of the game, your turns are t- going to take you two hours because you have so many units and buildings and all these things, whatever. Yeah, you're stuck in an analysis paralysis. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, Rise of Nations eliminated that problem. Obviously, it was more fast-paced. You couldn't just pause and like do your turn and then mm-hmm. go. You know, I mean, that's it's a real-time strategy game. So I always loved that as a kid, uh, and even now I've been kind of replaying that game and so i just just want to give a shout out to big huge games brian reynolds you're the man you created a new genre dude are they are they still around are they still doing stuff or are they kind of like a one-hit wonder kind of thing um so they did uh, kingdoms of amalur reckoning in 2012 oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, they co-developed with 38 studios and they put out a game in 2015 called dominations it was a turn-based strategy um co-developed with nexon nexon not neoxon nexon uh, hmm. A studio who I, I don't know anything about. Nexon, isn't that the Korean company? Nexon America Games, nothing we've heard of. Atlantica Online Vindictus. Okay, so they're probably just doing like little online games. Yeah, they, they did. Do, yeah, they have a Korean branch. They did Eve Online. They did. Eve Online is a big thing. Counter Strike Online 2. Okay, well, that's kind of. Yeah, that's, that's fun. Good for him. What do you got next for me, man? Oh, man, I'm running out. I. I I put down Activision just because I wanted to do a little shout out to them. As you may know, they're they're very big now. They're uh, they got merged with Blizzard after being bought by Vivendi, but then they rebought themselves back out. They rebought themselves. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, they 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 bought their freedom. <laughs> we we are our own men and women. But they were started in 1979, and they were the first third party publisher. Because before that, games were made by the people who were selling the games. So, like, Atari made Atari games. And then Activision was like, yo, that's messed up. Well, if we want to make an Atari game? And they've been around since then. I just thought that was pretty commendable, despite them being an evil, huge, you know, multi-million dollar corporation now, or whatever you want to look at them as. Big and evil and scary. But they actually, they developed Pitfall, which was actually, like, a pretty big series for the time. Wait, the OG Pitfall? Yeah, OG like, Pitfall. Like on the Atari... Yeah. No. Yeah. Activision. Yes. Okay. The more you know. 
shout out to Pitfall. You know what I was playing? Uh, not the first, but the second Pitfall on Game Boy Advance. Yeah, what? That wasn't my adventure. That was something. Uh, as the one with the talking cat. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one. He was, oh yeah, that one. Uh, what, what was his bit? He was like, he's like, hi, I'll be your talking cat for this adventure. And I'm like, oh, thank God. I was worried. I got through two levels and there wasn't a talking cat. All right, well, where's the talking cat? I'm not playing Pitfall till there's a cat that's speaking English. <laughs> Glad he made himself known to me before I threw my Game Boy through a window. Got any more cool tidbits for me? Just one more little tidbit here. Nothing... Perfect. I'm sure, you know, we're missing... Obviously, Nintendo is like... Nintendo's 110 years old, and they started making playing cards back when Japan didn't have flushing toilets and shit. Like... And, like, you know, had a taxi service and a love hotel. But that's an episode in and of itself, and it's also a book that you can probably just buy. <laughs> probably. We don't need to get too elaborate. So there are a lot of things... Like I said, this is not comprehensive. We just... You know, we're just throwing some facts at each other. It's as comprehensive as we are capable, which is not very... Well, not that we're capable of. We're just lazy. We're lackadaisical, man. Well, yeah, we skimmed the surface. A- average person. So, my last one here, I put down Bandai Namco, which... Uh, Bando Namkai? Namco, Bandai, Bandai Banjo Namco. Banjo-Kazooie? <laughs> Beetleborgs. I don't know. Banda- Band-Aid... <laughs> Namcore. <laughs> Namcore. Oh, God. Hamstring. <laughs> We're going to just, this pod's going to devolve into like us saying things in Coach Z's voice. Tell me about Bandai and tell me about Namco and when did they, they, they came together. Well, Bandai Namcore was framed into it in fave. <laughs> framed? Free it. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> oh, man. So, Bandai Namco, they merged in, in 05. But I don't care about the origin. Bandai Namco, they've done lots of, like, Dragon Ball Z games and other they've weird... They've done a bunch. They're, like, the anime game company. Like, they do Naruto, they do One Piece, they do Dragon Ball. I think they they mainly publish them. There are probably some of the bigger ones that they actually step in and develop themselves. But I think they have the rights to all those. Like, isn't there a company that is just like, yeah, we're the ones that put out the big animes? Oh, God... Uh, a company that puts out the big animes or dubs them sometimes both I don't know like, there's like Annie Plex and there's uh, well they do the dub I know they do dubs Funimation uh, they also do dubs Viz like Viz Media maybe like they just have they they produce you know yeah I'm not sure oh um Toei or Toei Animation Toei, yeah. yeah 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 I think Bandai Namco I think they're homies the Toei they have to be like just based on the amount of franchises they have what's interesting about them though is that in 2010 they set a a guinness world record uh for being a company that released the most tv commercials for one product (laughs) (laughs) yeah which is like such a niche to get into like we did it guys put us in your weird book guinness (laughs) so they put out a game uh called uh solo to robo which i believe translates to robot and sky or something Mm-hmm. Uh, Solo to Robo Red the Hunter, which is a, a sequel to the PS1 RPG Tale Concerto. Two games I've never heard of or played. No idea. Uh, weird RPGs. But they created a hundred different versions of the ad because Jesus. the game uh, consisted of a hundred different chapters. Like, we're going to do a commercial for every chapter of the game. That seems like overkill. And it's for a game no one's heard of. Wait, you said Tales? 
Tail Concerto was the PS1 RPG that Solo Torobo was a sequel to. Is that part of the Tales series? No, no, no. Tail, like T-A-I-L. T- Band and Namco does the Tales of Games 2. Really? Yeah, they do, like, Tales of Symphonia was a really big one. Right. Tales of Fantasia. Uh, they had a recent one. Yeah, Zestria came out last year. So, yeah, that's that's them. They're basically all the same game and people love them. Yeah, I think they've made, you know, minor jumps, but that's kind of like any series that has been around for that many iterations. How many huge jumps can you really make before it's not the same game anymore? Right. So anyway, that, I mean, I think that's our lists. Just some interesting facts that we wanted to kind of go over where uh, more than anything, we just wanted to get back on here and and bullshit a little bit, you know, kind of practice our our rapport. (laughs) We're trying to go weekly or bi-weekly. Uh, yeah, so. uh, we we can do weekly. We can we can bullshit enough to produce enough content, right. listenable at least. We're we're still trying to get the hang of a format and just kind of you know, we don't want this to be too terribly formal. We just want to get on here and have some good conversation and hopefully have that conversation with you if you're listening to this. Yeah, tune in next week as we play every single Tales of game. <laughs> in one week. Yeah, there's only been like twenty of them. That's not terribly daunting. Fucking eighty hour RPG. No, there hasn't been twenty. There's there's been like 15. All right. We're off the cuff here. <laughs> I'm going to look up Tales of Games. We're going to find out how fucking many of them. Fantasia, Destiny, Eternia, Destiny 2, Symphonia, Rebirth, Legendia, The Abyss, Innocence, Vesperia, Hearts, Graces, Zillia, Zillia ah! 2, Zestria, and Berseria, which is this ah! last year. So that's 16. Uh, the, uh, Zillia? Did you say Zillia 1 and 2? Yeah, I got those. Okay. 2011-2012, bro. Graces? We're both looking at the same Wikipedia page. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Radiant was that Radiant Mythology? Oh my god. Yeah man, these are actually pretty interesting. I played Symphonia a little bit and I recently bought it on uh Steam because I had got a HD I got a remake for PS3 and I think they just ported that to PC. Yeah, I believe so. That was one of the big RPGs on the GameCube was Tales of Symphonia. Yep, one of the very few really. I played that game for like I remember I remember coming home, I had just had four teeth removed. Oh yeah. I was God, I was probably in fifth or sixth grade. I want to say sixth grade. Mm-hmm. And uh, my my buddy, one of my best friends at the time, uh, Jacob Fraley, let me borrow, I believe, Tales of Symphonia. And I remember being all looped up on whatever they gave me. I, you know, I just come off the gas. I, I came home. My, I'm I'm in pain, and you know, uh, whatever they dope me up on. I I don't know. I don't remember much about it, but I remember playing it and like not understanding like. Like, I understood, like, the mechanics and what I'm doing here, but, like, I didn't get the point. And that was my first experience, really, with a JRPG. Yeah, they kind of just drop you in that story. I, I've only played maybe not even, like, the first tutorial chapter. I didn't finish that, that battle that you get into. But just the, the way it introduces you, you're just like, oh, you're just this person, and you're in the school, I guess. And, uh-oh, there's something happening. Get your sword and run outside. It was, it was real bizarre the way they kind of just drop you in immediately. And as an 11-year-old, I had spent my whole life playing games where it was just all about the gameplay. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't care about characters. I didn't care about story or narrative. I just wanted to get, you know, you get dropped. It's like Crash Bandicoot. What's the narrative there? Who fucking cares? You run backwards at some things. You jump over some other stuff. Like, Watch out for that rock. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. Spire the dragon. What do you do? You run around and you headbutt things and sometimes Shoot you throw fire. fire at them. Fire! <laughs> So, uh, that was my first experience with a, an RPG, other than, like, Pokemon. Interesting combat, but I need to play it some more, probably. Yeah. One of those games that's on the list that we'll probably never get to. Our lists are yeah. huge. Well, anyway, 
This has been the Console Crusade Podcast. Thanks for listening, ladies and gentlemen. See you next time. Or will we? They'll hear us next time. No, we'll see them. <laughs> hey, it's the Console Crusade Podcast. Look out your window. We're there.